0: Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18th, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, I interview Barbara Williams, retired editor of The Post and Courier. Well, I'm so excited to interview you um, because your generation really mentored mine. Uh. So um, I just want to hear about your career, um, uh, what it was like to be in this newsroom for decades. Uh, I read or no, I watched the oral history that the South Carolina Press Association has. Uh, It's about a 40-minute video interview with you. And you said several times in that interview, you said um, you had to convince people that you were serious. I don't know if you remember saying that, but you talked about interviewing for uh, different jobs. Um, I think it was here and then uh, um, in... Uh, New Jersey, or in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and you used that phrase a couple times. They wanted to make
1: sure that you were serious. That was really the key thing here, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, you know, this has been 46 years, and yeah. all but four of those years were in this newsroom and then this newspaper, and um, I was, I was interested in... Law, and I was interested, and of course, I love journalism. I mean, I did the annual, I mean, yeah. the, you know, the school annual. We revived it, actually, yeah. and uh, the newspaper. And by the time I finished that and I was, you know, going to college, I was so tired of all of that. that yeah. I, My brother was a lawyer. It was very encouraging. I love the idea of being a lawyer. And so I did pre-law, and there's no such thing as that. Not really, you know, you take everything else. But I was back by the second year doing journalism. Yeah. And so I went to the University of Tennessee, mm-hmm. And I graduated with a degree in journalism. But I took my electives in law school, which was great. My senior year in college, I had my electives in law school. So, and, and, but that sort of said to me, by the next year when I did, I worked for the university and I did a few other things, I was, I was really ready to get back into journalism. So I wrote a lot of newspapers. I wrote a couple of newspapers. I thought, the Honolulu Star, doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> wrote them. I saw something about the the, po- the news and courier. and It was something that intrigued me. So I thought, well, I'll try that. Yeah. And so a couple of other things. And a uh, Honolulu Star told me that 10 years experience was necessary because everybody wanted to go there. And so I didn't hear from the, from the news and courier. And I went on to a a job in Washington, a political newsletter that I was not really interested in because it was advocacy journalism and I wasn't, but I loved being in Washington and all the politics and all that. But a letter found its way to me from this newspaper, like went through several people before it got to me, and I was interested. I came in, interviewed, um, and when I went back to Washington, they called and offered me a job in the what was called the Women's Department. And I was able to say, thank you, but no, thank you. I don't want to do that. And they called me back, Mm -hmm. and they offered me a job in the newsroom. I was told later by one of the editors there that that they really said uh, they weren't really interested that I had a journalism degree, Mm -hmm. but they were interested that I had gone to law school, and they thought I might be serious. That was the serious one. (laughs) So that was the comment. And so I got the job. I came... uh, The obvious thing was to cover the courts. And so that's what I first did. The political reporter walked out six months after I came in and was miffed about something. And they said, Columbia's that way. Uh And that was my orientation. So I went off to Columbia. I didn't even know at that point. Uh, that, I mean, I carried this big royal typewriter all the way up the steps of the state house, because that's what I thought you could yeah. do until I found out there were side entrances. It was yeah. quite interesting. Loved it. Of course, I loved it. I had been covering the courts, so I knew a lot of the legislators because they're mostly all lawyers. Yeah. So it was a really, it was, a, it, it was, it was. Yeah. it was great. And so that was my, I was did that for two and a half, almost three, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Loved every minute of it. And then, Fell in love, yeah. and my husband had just graduated from the college at Charleston, and he was really talented, and he was being encouraged by a local artist to go to, to the Slade School in London. Well, that wasn't gonna happen, but he applied for yet another degree at the at Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were off to, we got married, mm-hmm. off to Philadelphia, no money, no, no jobs. What year was this? 1963, okay. we're married in 1963. And when I got to Philadelphia, you know, and I got the sense that it was not going to be easy to break into the newsroom in Philadelphia, it was made pretty clear to me that the Inquirer did, was not going to take my application for the newsroom. So I went across the river to New Jersey, and the Camden Courier Post was a family-owned newspaper that had just been bought by Gannett. But the, one of the executives there was a member of this family, and she was a woman and there were women in that newsroom. Yeah. So it was a really interesting thing to see that they were really, they had a number of women in the newsroom, and it was right. much tougher in Philly, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So I was assigned to, you know, cover politics, and had, and that was another, that was four years, and we yeah. were there from 63 to 67. Mm-hmm. And then Manning, you know, finished the four years, and we were both anxious to come back to Charleston. I was not the native. He was. But I loved Charleston. You know, it made me feel good to be here. So I was really anxious to come back. And the News and Courier was willing to give me my job back, which is even right. more wonderful. So I was back covering the legislature. I will, at that one point, when I went to cover the legislature the first time, I was the first woman to be assigned full-time coverage to the, of the legislature. And I was here the first woman, the only woman in the newsroom until that later changed, and it changed fairly quickly. But it was—I was I was first the only woman in this newsroom at the time in 61, and then the first one to cover the legislature, assigned permanently to cover the legislature. And I loved that. I mean, I, I did that for 15 years. I was a reporter for 15 years, and it was just the best time, best fun. I loved every bit of it. It was exciting. In those days, you could still get scoops, you know, and I loved them, too. I wanted one or two. I mean, yeah. I, I liked scoops. I liked to be able to be the first to have the things, you know, the stories. I also wanted to be correct and right, too. I didn't want to just get it first. I wanted sure. to get it right. Um, and I like to think that I mostly did that. Um, and so it was, it was, I couldn't imagine a better job. And I was then offered the position of assistant managing editor of the News and Courier. And I really had to think about that because I knew I loved what I did, and I had seen reporters uh, go on to the desk or other jobs because it paid more, in truth, you know, primarily because it paid more, and they weren't particularly happy about it, and I knew I was happy, and I wasn't sure I wanted to do that, but then I, I we talked a lot about it, and I decided that maybe the time had come to move on, to have a different kind of satisfaction, not did you get the scoop and was it the best, no, you did you have a good newspaper? Right. And that was the difference in the satisfaction I felt. I was the assistant managing editor of the News and career for five years, mm-hmm. and and enjoyed it. I mean, there were real challenges. The Spoleto Festival was just getting ready to start. I had no idea what that was going to be about. It, was anybody even going to come? You know. So I was signed. I was assigned to develop the coverage for Spoleto, and it was. And the paper, the publisher at the time, decided to go. Oh, wow, we were just going to take a chance on it. We allotted a lot of pages to it. I call new, I called The New York Times and asked for uh, somebody who was really competent in all the arts Did they know some freelancer and they they gave me a guy named Bob Jones who became our overview uh, reporter He'd come back come here every year and he was fabulous he knew music, but he knew all the arts and he was a great writer, and people yearned to see his work and it was I think that I mean we had great response to how we covered that festival and we still cover it much the same way. I was very proud of how we'd started and pretty much continued to give it the attention that we thought it deserved. So that was a real plus for me during that time. I really enjoyed that.
0: The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment.
1: Um, And then I was offered um, the position of editor of the Evening Post, the afternoon paper. Now, we were in the same building and we were in the same you know the same sides but the post was the was the afternoon paper and the news and career the morning paper and we were very competitive yeah. you know we really loved that and then people wouldn't believe it but it was really true so i wasn't used to the i mean i've been the that'd been the competition but i got the job with the with the evening post i mean they offered me the editorship and i there have not been a woman editor mm-hmm. and um so i was very i was very interested in it too i mean i it would seem like, again, another time to make another change. And, and I was, you know, happy to have done that. I, I, you know, there were a lot of things we did. The, I noticed that, the, you know, the morning paper had got lots of letters to the editor. And the afternoon paper got very few letters to the editor. And I thought, well, you know, it's because in the morning people read it and they get furious and they write letters to the editor. And in the evening they come back and they eat dinner and they go, I think I'll write. Oh well, I think I'll go to bed. Right. So I developed the Golden Pen Award. Oh, you did. What? I did, uh-huh. and I decided that you know how we would really try to encourage readers, uh, and it did and it did work. We gave a Golden Pen every month, and the staff talked about it. And we tried to find the letters we thought were. The most thoughtful. It didn't matter what position they were taking. It was the most thoughtful. Had, you know, when people had to had to sign their names and they had to tell kind of where they lived. I mean, they had to be responsible too. Yeah. Uh, and at, at the end of the year, we would have a, a have a, a major a luncheon. And we would go around the table, we'd give them their their golden pins. we'd give them a a printout of all the winning letters, which they love to take home. But we went around, we would go around the table and talk about the response to their letters. And it was wonderful. They could tell you the best stories about what had happened. And I just, it was one of my favorite things that we did there. It was really, you know, we were encouraging people to write. And, and, Am I? You know, is it different now? That was real outlet then for for people, but they still want to see the that in print. They, I yeah. think it's still they feel it exactly. very important. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to with the social media to say what they say, and you know, and I think the, I guess I've been so disappointed to see how um, uh, uh, ugly it can be, yeah. you know, and then that's that's just too bad. The lack of civility. Has really bothered me, uh, as is what I've seen as the result. But, but, um, and then the paper was getting ready to merge, uh, you know, and the editor of the News and Courier was retiring because. So I became the editor of the News and Courier too as we were doing the merger. So I was editor of both papers for a very short period of time, and then I became the editor, the first editor of the Post Courier. Yeah.
0: So your biography, and people always talk about how you were the first woman to cover the legislature, the first uh, female editor of the Evening Post, first uh, editor ever, and female editor of the Post and Courier. How much is how much do you think that's part of what's important to you? Is being the first woman? In that?
1: It's always noted, but it was what was most important to me was the, what I did. Yeah. I loved what I did. I loved every and every single time. I had to think about each time sure. to make that step because I knew I loved what I was doing. I was very fortunate that I loved what I did, was doing, but I also knew that you know I didn't want to. I'm not saying I didn't want to report them because I was like I was always like a reporter in many ways. I I, I believed that editorials have to be informed opinion you have to and so I called everybody on all sides as I was trying to come up with things I was I functioned in many ways still as a reporter as I tried to get the facts and as we tried to come to decisions we um with with we did endorsements and and this was different we didn't endorse anybody who we had not interviewed we opened the door to everybody It took a long time it took weeks you know the more candidates, and and uh, we really did interview all of those people, and we came to conclusions based on those interviews. We, we, you changed your mind immediately once you sat down and really started to talk to people. And I used to say, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm trying to think of how to say this to you, but. I thought that it was a lose-lose situation with endorsements in many ways mm-hmm. because no matter who you, if you endorse somebody and they won they said oh well of course I would have won anyway right and if you didn't endorse somebody then they lose then they was they were they were very unhappy with yeah. you so you you really couldn't win except it was my position that if you're going to make comments on legislation and freedom of information and Restructuring state government, you're going to make, you're going to express views on that, and you don't express views on who's going to be doing all that, who's going to be making the laws, who's going to be doing it, then you really haven't done your job. So I didn't think that it was, you know, I thought, I felt it was necessary. Uh, But now it's not necessarily a lot of fun to do, you know.
0: Any of those races stick out in your mind as being particularly interesting or good conversations with the candidates or?
1: I'm trying to think of if there's one in any in particular, but not any in particular. They were all mostly interesting. I mean, you know, and people would come. And not everybody did, but almost everybody did. Because, you know, all the way through this process, from the beginning, when you were a reporter, when you were assistant managing editor, and when you were the editor, there was one thing I thought was the most, the fairest thing. And that was to be fair. I I used to have people say, uh, Barbara, do me a good story. And I would say... I'll be fair. And they couldn't say they didn't want you to be fair. They wanted, Of course, they wanted you to be fair, but they appreciated that. They really did. I thought it was terribly important to make them have a sense of, of fairness, of yeah. ability to talk to you, and for you to listen right. before you came to conclusions. Yeah. So it was a.
0: So you got to cover the legislature in the 70s, uh, into the 80s
1: from 61. Actually, when I started covering the legislature, yeah. there were no Republicans. They were all Democrats. That's what Democrats. I wanted to ask you about. There was a moment while you were covering it that this state tr- did its transition. Absolutely was. Yeah. I mean, the, the joke used to be that the Republicans would have their conventions in the phone booth. You know, that was <laughs> right. the story. Yeah. But they were, they were all Democrats. Sure. Uh, from When I left in 63, when covering the, they were all Democrats. When I came back in 67, it had already started to change a bit, okay. and uh, it changed a bit in a lot of ways. There were more, there were a few more women. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, state government had been very closed doors. I mean, I would go to in, in those early days. The, the the committees were run by well, the state was run by by the legislature, and not the governor had very little power. The exception to that was Fritz Hollings when he was governor. Fritz was the governor when I came to Charleston. Right. And he was a force of nature. Yeah. I mean, he really was. He was terrific. He'd been through. He'd been lieutenant governor. He'd been there. I all knew Fritz. Besides that, he just was great. He was, uh, you know, quite a. He he was far-sighted. He was uh, great personality. And so, you know, he was. Uh, he was, as I say, he was. He stands always out in my mind as being one of the best uh, governors or best politicians. But. Uh, When I came back in 67, the Republicans started, and it it happened much faster than most people suspected, because South Carolinians were, they were Democrats, but they liked to consider themselves South Carolina Democrats. And when the national elections came around, they had a hard time making that decision to be with the national Democratic candidate Mm -hmm. compared. You know, they were all... And I always thought they really needed to have party registration. I think they would have all been a lot happier than trying to figure it all out. And they still won't do that. But nevertheless, because I do think that it's up to the parties to pick their best candidates and then let us all make the decision on who's the best one yeah. to win. But um, it had started to change, and it changed very rapidly.
0: And it changed a lot earlier than the rest of the country.
1: I think it did. Yes, yes it did, because they started realigning. Yeah. And it was quite interesting to see uh, Uh, Was it that
0: governor's race or what was the tipping point? What do you think was?
1: Well, you know, Jim Edwards was the first Republican governor. And there had been, because there had been a really unfortunate set of circumstances with Pug Ravenel was going to be the nominee and he got deposed and he had a great campaign going. And then somebody else came along and there was such dissatisfaction with all that, that Edwards, who was really... Gregarious guy. Everybody yeah. loved Jim Edwards, and yeah. he couldn't have been a there couldn't have been a better one to make that transition. Frankly, yeah. Edwards was was the best one, and from that time on, that came. You know, not all the time because there yeah. were other governors after that.
0: But. Yeah. What else do people need to know about that time, or what sticks out in your mind about that time? Was it a philosophical shift that was happening, or
1: I think it had always been there. They yeah. just hadn't, they just hadn't I made really it. Sh- yeah. I, I think, I think it was still, I think it was there, yeah. always. Because so, yeah. I say they would, when you would call them when they had the 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 uh, presidential nominee was Democrat, and they would kind of back off or not be sure, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it was pretty clear. Yeah that what was happening, there were true Democrats and there were true Republicans. And sure. finally, they were saying so. It right. <laughs> <Right>. was interesting. <laughs> Feel good about getting a great
0: haircut with the Great Care Promise at Great Clips. Our commitment to helping keep everyone as safe as possible in the salon. Check in online today. Great Clips. It's going to be great. All salons are independently owned and operated. Contact your local salon for specific safety measures. So I talk to people about you and they say, you know, Barbara knew everyone from and she was comfortable in all circles. Um, and you were working at a time when, uh, what Mendel Rivers, Strom Thurman, uh, Fritz Hollings, all their do you have any stories?
1: I'll give you a yeah. Mendel story, a okay. quick Mendel story. You know, he was great with all of his constituents, he was he, he was that was one of his things, and um, uh, he was also he had. Other, we had a number of problems, but he—I uh, had been to something. I've forgotten it was a christening of of some ship that Mendel was on. I remember being in the plane because we were all there to cover it, yeah. and I thought he looked very pensive, he was very quiet, which was very unlike him. Mm-hmm. And within oh, a week or so, uh, we got the word here that Mendel was in the hospital in Birmingham and having heart major heart problems, major. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Mendel Rivers brought up, everybody thought Mendel, Mendel brought all this stuff to the to Navy base. I mean, how yeah. they couldn't live without Mendel Rivers. What would Charleston ever do if they lost Mendel Rivers? Yeah. And I, I was on the, I was trying to get the story. And we were getting, the word was coming in that Mendel was in the hospital and it was serious business and all that. And the phone rang. And he said, Miss Barbara? And I said, Mendel? And he said, yes, I'm here in Birmingham, and I'm having this hospital, and they're going to do the surgery tomorrow. I just wanted you to know he wanted his local newspaper mm-hmm. to have that story. He wanted me to, or whoever, but I knew him because I was, I was going to Washington. We had we once had a Washington bureau, and then we didn't, so I went once a month. Yeah. So I was always making contact, so he was, I was the one he called. Yeah. And it was very cagey, Mendel, because the word was that Palmer Gilliard, who was the mayor, uh, was very interested in running for Congress. Mm -hmm. And he said very slyly to me, how's Palmer? Mm -hmm. And I said, Mendel, because I knew what he was doing, you know. And he said, I'm just coming out. I'm not coming out of here feet first. Mm -hmm. Well, he did. Unfortunately, he did. And you know, it was shock here. But I mean, people worried about what was going to happen to the Navy base yeah. and didn't have Mendel and all that. And people lined the road all the way to Monks Corner where he was buried, and in, and in, uh, Gumville, maybe, or wherever he was. Yeah. And just you know, there was there was a real they thought a real loss because he was a real powerhouse sure. for them in in Washington. Did you cover that? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah,
0: was I that did. Hard to write, or do you remember?
1: No, I it was. It was. It was. Right to right. I I knew him and, you know, but there was great sadness when he died.
0: So it sounds like, you know, you got a lot of pleasure out of getting a scoop or being the person that somebody called. Well, of course, advice for reporters on
1: how you did it. I think they just I I got you know what? I've worked hard and I went to every meeting. I went to all the committee meetings, you know, I just because I didn't know how you were going to cover things. If you didn't go find out what was going on. Yeah. behind the scenes and everywhere else. So I was around. I worked hard. I covered the legislature. I was I and I and I just got to know people yeah. and they and they also knew I really think they knew I would treat them fairly. Yeah. And I they also knew that I would also call everybody. I called every side. I didn't I didn't reveal I didn't you know I didn't vote in primaries at all That's because yeah. when I was a reporter, even when I was assistant managing manager editor, because yeah. I just didn't want people to know how I felt, how I thought. Right. You know, I wanted them to not feel I was on either side. I thought right. that was very important. I thought, I think that uh, editorial, I mean, newsroom neut- neutrality on the news pages is a really good thing. Right. And I think that it was appreciated. I think it's all got to be labeled otherwise, and it's terribly important too. Yeah. But, but I just felt that um, they trusted me to treat them fairly and to try to get both sides. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always, that's what I tried to do. I mean, you can't always do that because people won't sure. give you that information. But but I was around and I was covering and I was pretty much where they were yeah. a lot. So I saw this
0: picture of you. Um, you had a, sounds like a royal typewriter in front of you. You had your cup of coffee. Uh, you had your phone, you know, your phone and you had a. Bottle of glue? Yes. Is that possible? Oh, yes.
1: What is it <laughs> we used to paste those pages together. <laughs> <laughs> those glue pots were something else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't have a glue <laughs> pot <on my> desk. <laughs> yeah, Well, you know, I, I send my stories when I was first reporter by Western Union in Columbia. That's really? how that I, I, uh, That's really true. That's really true. They'd come knock on my hotel door, and I'd give them that copy, and off it would go. And then how long would it take to get here? Well, enough to make the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> And then we had other things in the Columbia Bureau. You know, sure. we had a teletop kind of thing, and yeah. college students come in and type the stuff. But we went through so many phases of how to, yeah. this is... Today, it's just amazing to yeah. me still. No,
0: yeah. what was the newsroom like then? I mean, it
1: must have been oh, long such long fun! Season. Yeah, such fun. Doug Donahue was the city editor for much of my time there, and he was just the jolliest guy. He yeah. would be singing at the desk, and everybody was around, and everybody, you know, we all went out together afterwards sure. too, because yeah. we actually worked, you know, until one o'clock or two o'clock yeah. in the morning yeah. at one point, yeah. you know, in the newsroom. And, well, certainly for the news and courier. Yeah. Uh, Post would come in early in the morning, and they would go home by three o'clock. And we were, and I was always somewhere like down at the drugstore, buyers' drugstore, yeah. talking to people and yeah. listen, I could go to buyers and come back with three stories, you know. I yeah. mean, that's just that's sure. just the way it was. Yeah. So, where
0: it was would you hang out. Where, where would you guys go out after work?
1: Oh, there were a number of restaurants. Yeah, we would all go out and have fun. It was—they're yeah. not around anymore. They're all kind of gone. But we did go out and we had great yeah. fun. At least in those early days. I mean, later on after I was married, I didn't go out as much. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But. So, um, what do you you know as you transitioned into being a, an editor and listening to you talk, I bet you were a reporter's editor. You know. Uh, um, what 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 in your opinion made a good paper? When did you go to go home at night and feel like you did it right?
1: Oh, I think it's balanced. I mean, it, you know, we were with local paper, you know, so we, we really wanted to cover what's going on locally for yeah. sure. Uh, the the Evening Post tried it, not when I was there, but they they tried to just do all front page local stories, and I didn't think that was. I, that was that was not my cup of tea. I right. felt that it should reflect the world but concentrate on the local thing matters sure. so you know if there was some huge thing that was washington's story, it wasn't in the front page of the book, no matter what mm-hmm. and it didn't last that experiment did not last very long yeah. so I think it has to be, i think it has to be well balanced yeah. you' want to be a little bit of most, but the people also want to concentrate on the local news too okay. so I think that a well balanced uh you know uh innovative kind of things. We did a lot of interesting things. I mean, the Splato thing was particularly a, yeah. a very different thing for us to do. Um, but I just, I don't know. I mean, you want a good editorial page and you want want a little bit of everything. So, yeah. so after
0: more than 40 years, you retired. Mm-hmm. And was it hard to redefine yourself after all these years of being a a
1: journalist. You know, I kept um, I kept doing a little. I kept doing my column. Yeah. I had a I had a column called Dimensions, and it was it was on the op-ed page. Yeah. Uh, and mostly, when I was a reporter, it was just an explanatory column. Yeah. I was very careful. I'd go behind the scenes and tell things they might not know or try to explain things. But it yeah. was not a. It didn't take big positions because I was a reporter and yeah. I didn't want to do that. It was a fine line to walk, right. but I did do that. Uh, and then, of course, when I became the editor, I also kept maintaining the column. It ran on Sunday, and it was on, and so I was told I was asked to keep the column for. Yeah. I think I kept it for at least three years. Yeah, so you still had a hand in. And, and you know, just to keep the hand in, so that and I and I did that every week. So uh, I was still calling people, right. because as I tell you, I was I was still being a reporter, so yeah. I was calling yeah. all the legislators and saying, "Oh, now tell me about this." Yeah. So it was a great way. To make the transition right. and i still do a little editing now for at least one person here so yeah. i have a little i talk to people every week so yeah. it's still nice it's really great you know
0: well um do you have any advice for especially young women just starting their journalism careers looking back things you might have done differently or wish you'd known
1: you know i'm just glad that there's no question about whether or not you're serious or not yeah. it's wonderful for me to see all the women in the newsroom, yeah. and what a change it's been! Mm-hmm. You know, that's just terrific. I mean, I, I, I think that's um um that that gives me great pleasure to see that out there, and I I think they're pretty savvy about. I don't think they need advice from me. I think they're all doing very well these days. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, you do need to love it. You need to be if you're mm-hmm. gonna, you're gonna commit to this because it 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 takes a lot, yeah, a lot of commitment to do what you need to do and to be here as long as you need to be sometimes. And to, you know, um, so I, I, I just hail them. I think it's good that we've got what we've got these days.
0: Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you miss? it will be my last question.
1: Hmm. I still miss writing. You know, I kept that on for a while, and I and I still miss writing. Um, I loved editing, but I also that was the other thing that I loved going back to the, to the editorial side because I was writing all the time compared to being, you know, in the assistant managing editor's position. So I, I do miss writing, um, but I've been so busy, uh, in particular lately, with the book that's being done about my husband's work, and mm-hmm. so it's... Um, I'm not bored, Yeah, ever, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> well, I really
0: enjoyed getting to sit down and talk to you a little bit.
1: Well, me too. Nice to talk.
0: Charleston is on the front lines of climate change. We are on the front lines of sea level rise. What we learn about it now is gonna determine what we do for decades to come. The sea level in Charleston Harbor has risen about a foot in the past hundred years. My job is to show people what it means to deal with flooding here, what's happening with the hurricane that might be coming towards the coast. It feels amazing to have a job that's so important to the community that you live in. Unlike a lot of other newspapers of this size, we get time to really dig deep. I really take that responsibility of being a watchdog for the environment to heart. The only way we get to do that is if people subscribe and support The Post and Courier.
1: We the Women is a special series of The Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postandcourier.com backslash we the women.